I'll let you in on a little secret. Reaching your revenue goal won't change your life, but hitting your profit goal, that absolutely will. If you want to build a life-first business this year, you need to create more margin, both in your finances and in your schedule. If you're ready to double down on profit-generating strategies that actually work so you can work four-day weeks, go on real vacations, or even take the summers off, you won't want to miss this. In my free masterclass, Double Your Profit While Working Less, you'll learn exactly how to set your business up to scale so you can give yourself a raise, create a clear plan for how to work that dream schedule, and step into your CEO era, the one where you and your business aren't just surviving, but thriving. You can grab this free masterclass at www.jadeboyd.co backslash double your profit masterclass or go to the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast, a podcast about redefining productivity for the modern woman in business and finding ways to work smarter, not harder in business and life. I'm your host, Jade Boyd. I'm an MBA, business strategist, and mentor who helps overwhelmed business owners simplify and scale their service-based businesses with strategy and systems. On this podcast, we'll explore simple ways to earn more while working less. If you're ready to scale your business, bring order to chaos, ditch the busy work, and make space for what really matters, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Business Minimalist Podcast. Today, I am super excited to have Cassie Beach on the podcast. Cassie is an interior designer. We met on Instagram, actually, and we met in person for the very first time in April when I was at a retreat in Sioux Falls. And within 10 seconds of meeting each other, somebody asked us if we were sisters, which is just hilarious. My favorite story about Cassie, but I really enjoyed getting to know her. We have so many conversations in our DMs about interior design as I'm doing these crazy projects in my house and watching the work that she's doing. And we started talking a while back about productivity and interior design and the overlap between the two. And so I'm really excited to have her come on the podcast today and talk about office spaces specifically and how to design an inspiring and functional office space that helps you stay productive, especially in this work from home age. So I am super excited for this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Cassie. And why don't you go ahead and give yourself like a little introduction too about you and what you do. Absolutely. Well, first, thanks for having me. I'm an interior designer. This is going into my fifth year of business. And it really all started by accident, stumbled into it, lots of prayers, and just staying home, focusing on my kids. I was really desiring some of those things to fall off my to-do list and stay off the list. So I started working on my home and it's just evolved and grown into a full-time business and now have two assistants working with me who are also busy mamas. So tell us about the moment when you knew that you were going to take this full time. What did that journey look like for you? You know, it definitely wasn't like a clear crisp. I used to joke, like, I really wish a neon sign would pop down from above and guy would say, Cassie, this direction, go here. But it was really more of an evolution of, I kind of started it and then I wanted to do it really part time. And then it just really was more of a slow progression. I would say two years ago. I really knew like my goal was to do this full time and build it out. And this is the first year both my kids are in school full time. So this year is when I've really thrown all in and it's just, it's beyond what I can even recognize now. So it's fun. I really enjoyed it. I haven't been following you for five years, but a couple of years maybe. And I really enjoyed seeing like your client projects and how your business and your 
your projects have evolved over the past couple of years and just getting kind of behind the scenes, look into the work that you do. I'm obviously fascinated with interior design, so it's really fun to see the work that you're doing along with that. I want to know. So on my own journey as a novice designing my own house or trying to, I watch a lot of HGTV and Magnolia Network. And I feel like over the past couple of years, I've started to realize that I'm able to see other people's mistakes, like especially first time fixer mistakes. I'm like, oh, they think that's going to be cheap. Nope. I know that now. But when I was first, like, there's so much that you have to learn when it comes to interior designing. And as an expert, I kind of want to know, like, what are some of the mistakes that you see some of your clients making maybe before or even during when they're working with you, especially when it comes to office spaces, but in general too. So I would say some of the big mistakes are if you're going to hire a designer, do it early rather than later. It will save you so much in the long run. And in the big scheme of things, especially if you're taking a renovation on, we are not a huge investment and we can actually save you money and time. Same thing with furniture. One of the things I do is I share my discount with clients. So at the end of the day, if you're doing all new furniture, some of that can actually save you so that my services are are so minimal. But then outside of that, just like the mistakes I see commonly when I'm doing consults is furniture hugging walls. I think especially in office spaces, you know, people just tend to line their walls. They get really scared about floating furniture But if it's your primary workspace, I tend to prefer to float that desk out in the middle of the room so that you're not just hugged up against a wall. Another thing is just not thinking through functionality and storage and how the space is used and being practical about what you're going to do in the space and who you are and how you function. And then just the other thing is probably not making it a priority, you know, just kind of throwing extra furniture in there. And if it's your primary workspace, I mean, outside of your bed, that's probably where you're spending most of your time. So just um, investing a little time and energy and some resources to really spruce it up and make it an experience. Too many wood tones is kind of a big pet peeve of mine. If you get more than three wood tones in a space, it starts to feel like a college dorm or like you have all this hand-me-down furniture and not intentionally designed. That was our whole um, house when we got it. A little 70s paneling on the walls, a different wood trim and all wood floors. It's a lot. <laughs> it gets to be a lot. The other thing is probably scale. Scale is probably the biggest game changer I always joke that you don't want your things in your home to look like you got everything at the dollar spot at Target. Like Mm. they have great things there, but they're too small. So really getting key pieces in the right size will change dramatically how you use and function in the space. And then lighting, lighting always impacts it. So those are my big like top hitters for priority to start with. What are some of the benefits that come along with redesigning a workspace specifically? You mentioned a couple of them, but I feel like it's really easy to not think about those things. Like you said, small changes can make such a huge difference. And so what are some of those benefits that you see your clients getting or that even you personally have gotten out of redesigning your office space and thinking about those things a little bit more? Absolutely. So I always say, and this goes beyond the office space, but your home is an experience. I'm an Enneagram seven. There's my dead giveaway. So as you're going through your home and doing the day-to-day, creating an experience and moments and pauses and touch points that elevate changes it from just like the spot that you're checking into to an experience of your day. Again, how much of your time are you spending working? Like make it comfortable, make it functional, make it little pieces to make it special. 
really transition, you know, for example, outside of the office space where you do your coffee in the morning, like creating a little coffee bar, you know, where you wash your dishes, putting a little tray and pretty smelling soap in a pretty container and a neutral scrubber. Like those are just touch points throughout the day where you spend a few minutes in your home. The office should be the same thing, whether it be a pen holder that like, I have a pot where I put my pens. It's not like a cup, but a pot that I found that I really love that adds a little texture. The same thing should be true in your office. Um, But then also productivity. If you have a well-designed space, you will have a well-designed workflow and you will be more productive and efficient and less distracted. And then it's easier to maintain too. I love that. I love thinking about it as an experience rather than just like a place that you go to do certain things. And I think what you said about having it be inspiring for a lot of creatives and coaches, they come to this point in their business where they realize that they're not, their primary focus isn't working in the business. It's like on the business. And a lot of that is vision setting and working in that inspired space. So if someone here is getting to that point where they're acting like the CEO, like that is huge to have a space accessible every day where you can go to feel inspired. I don't think that can be underestimated. And I think that other cultures, and we talked about this on Instagram, but the Danish Huga principle or Mm -hmm. is it Scandinavian or Danish? I think it kind of translates to both. Like you see it in both cultures, but I think it's actually Danish is where it's, it's from. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? I feel like other countries do this like experience living a lot better than American culture, at least from what I've seen. But if you want to talk a little bit more about that, I would love it. Oh, 100%. So first of all, I really love, it's called the little book of Huga, and it kind of dives into the different parts of your lifestyle and how ironically their culture, like where they live geographically is very similar to Alaska. Like they have long periods of time where they have minimal sunlight But the World Happiness Project, I think is who it was, did a study on them. And like out of everyone in the world, they were ranked one of the happiest cultures and people. So they really started diving in and that's where they discovered the Huga and how they really emphasize your day-to-day life being an experience. And whether it's the meal you make or the grocery store you go to around the corner or the lamps in your living room, their consumption of candles is like... Insane. It's insane, but it's really elevating and playing on the five senses and how you can take any space and create an experience for your day-to-day life. And it is, it's so funny because I will tell clients this, but after they've, we've come and the team's done the install, they really do circle back and they're like, I knew that what you were saying was true, but until I experienced it, I didn't realize how much it impacted my everyday life whether it be how I feel in my home or whether it be, it gives me the confidence to invite others in my home. A big part of their culture is relationships and creating these tight knit communities. I actually read in the book that it was really hard for people to go to that area and get ingrained in the culture because they have such a tight knit community that it's hard Mm. for a new person to ingrain themselves in it. But I even had a client just a few weeks ago, we finished the install and she said, her kids, she has grown kids and her son was sitting at the counter and he goes, mom, I don't want to go home. Your house just feels so good. It feels like home and our house doesn't feel this way. And that's what it's all about. Whether it's your office space or whether it's your living room or your primary bedroom, it's about the feeling that home should evoke in you. 
And I think that's particularly important for like bringing this back to office spaces. If you're inviting clients into your office space or having meetings in your office space, and you even mentioned having Zoom meetings in your office space and setting the tone. So important. So for someone who's thinking like, okay, I'm not hitting the target here. I need to do some work and want to create that experience. What are the first few things that they should be thinking about as they start that process? Absolutely. So the first thing when I start any space is really thinking through what are the tasks that you will need to accomplish in there, especially in a workspace. What is your current workflow and where could it be improved upon? You know, maybe it is you need a large space to spread out because you're doing task work with items. You know, someone like me that maybe has samples, they want to be able to spread out that type of thing. And then also really diving into who's going to be using this space, whether it's just a solopreneur, whether they're going to have clients in it, whether it's in almost every home office I do, I incorporate a spot for husbands and kids to pop in because that's real life working from home. And then really from there, defining the function that you need in this space. If you start there, then you'll have a functional space and the aesthetic side of it and the pretty things are actually the easier things to add. And then I really try to think through how you can elevate the experience. So for me, I have ambient lighting. I have a diffuser, plants, if you can. I have a cozy blanket that I keep in my office because it gets cold or soft, fuzzy slippers, because that's the reality. You can have business on top and comfy on the bottom, but just really thinking through that and then defining once you have your you know, how you're using it for tasks and what kind of storage you need, then you can define furniture layout and plan and how to incorporate it. I usually tell people really focus on whatever is within your desk space are the things you're using daily. Anything that's less than daily, I usually, I often do kind of like how I have it in my office, shelves or storage behind, because it's really simple to turn your desk chair around and grab it without having this abundance of stuff around you when you're trying to work and focus. Yeah, absolutely. That makes a ton of sense. For someone who doesn't have an office space, a lot of entrepreneurs these days are working from home. What is kind of the next best solution that you would give? How do you get that same experience if you don't have a spare bedroom or something to turn into that office? Great question. I actually don't have like a designated office. And I would say the first thing to do is don't be afraid to kind of bounce around your house a little bit until you identify the space that's going to work for you and your family to chunk out and then really invest some time in planning and prepping the space. So for example, I started out working from our primary bedroom and I was there about six months and quickly realized I absolutely hated working in Mm -hmm. my bedroom Mm -hmm. for so many reasons. (laughs) Like I can't tell you how many times my husband came in to shower and I'm like, no, get out. I'm on a call. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's the first thing, but don't be afraid to get creative. So for example, my space is a storage. It was actually when the house was built designed for a storage space under our stairs. So it's a six by 12 space that I've really maximized function. I've done office spaces in like a traditional closet, whether it be in a guest room or something like that, where you tuck it in there and and things like that, or just a corner of the living room. I think you have to know, it kind of goes back to knowing yourself and knowing what's your prime environment. For me, I really needed to be able to close the door and not have people prayed through when I'm on calls and things like that. And I wanted a backdrop that I do enough Zoom calls and with my industry, I needed it to look professional mm-hmm. in an instant. So I didn't want to have to worry about making my bed before I jumped on a Zoom call type thing. 
So really defining that helps a lot, but don't be afraid to get creative with your home and spaces you have. So along with that, for people who are working from home, clutter affects our ability to focus. I don't care what you say about being able to function in a clutter environment. Like I read the research, it definitely affects our ability to focus on one thing and especially working from home, not only in your office, but in every area of your house, I find myself getting distracted by like piles of mail on the counter and, you know, the little things. So what are some of your best strategies that you have from an interior design perspective to eliminate some of that clutter that's preventing us from giving our best focus to our work? Absolutely. So the first thing is always decluttering and then doing it again, and then doing it again and again and again. It's something, it's a maintenance thing for any home. You have to consistently declutter. And I just remind people, I think that we can get very emotionally attached to material things. At the end of the day, we marry our spouses and not our things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so often things serve a purpose, but then they go through their season where they're no longer serving us. And I have so many clients that I've come across who have too much stuff and it's no longer serving them well. It no longer feels good. And really at the end of the day, the biggest thing they need to do is rip that bandaid off and get rid of the things that aren't working so that they can have things in their home that are functioning well and serving them well. So that's definitely a big one. And then knowing who you are as a organizer. So there's this really great resource on YouTube. Her name is called Clutterbug. Her actual first name is Kathy, like me. And I think she also has a show on HGTV, but she defines people into four different categories. So, and she kind of has two categories and then two subcategories below them. So the first one is, are you someone that needs to see your things? Do they need to be out? Are you the person that needs that pile on your counter? So you remember to pay the bill or do you need your things out of sight so that you can focus? So that's kind of the first decision. And then the second one is, are you a macro or a micro organizer? So are you the type that's going to alphabetize your spices or are you just going to chunk them in the cabinet together and keep them all together, you know, or color code your closet, you know, those types of things. Because some of us, we get all gung-ho, you know, we watch the home edit, we watch all these shows, we read all the books, but in reality, we come up with systems that we, if we really know ourselves, will not actually maintain. Mm. I cannot be a micro-organizer. Like I do not want to alphabetize things. I color code my closet, but that's as far as it goes. So really know yourself so that you can develop a system that will actually serve you well versus one more thing you feel like you're not doing well because it's not a good system for you. So that's definitely like the big thing. When it comes to papers, I feel like offices tend to be a place for papers. One of my big go-tos, it's a really affordable solution, is just one of those stands that you can set on the on a shelf or on your desk or mount to a wall that kind of tears up. And then using a bunch of folders, I get mine on Amazon, but that way you can have things. I need things out, but I need them not out while I'm working Mm -hmm. on other things. So they're not out of sight, but they're clean and crisp, but I can easily access them and I don't lose track of things. So that's kind of my personal system that I've developed for keeping things organized when it comes to papers. I want to go back. There is just so much good stuff in what you just said, but I want to go back to your first point in getting rid of things. And I'm curious, is that a difficult conversation to have with your clients? Because I feel like on the opposite end, so much of what you say about organizing interior design 
mirrors what I do with business owners and helping them get organized and have a clear strategy because that often requires them to make hard decisions and say no to services or clients or ways of thinking that are very hard to get rid of. How do you kind of guide your clients through that process or what tips and strategies or what, if anything, helps you get that message through? Great question. It's definitely use a little bit of like a counselor mentality when you're approaching those things, because it's such an emotional thing for so many people. Oftentimes I really try to, in that initial conversation, focus on what they want out of the space and really defining that and putting images behind that, putting words behind that, putting products behind that. And I think one of the big ways is as you develop their trust and as I develop their desire and they see the excitement of what it could be, then it's so much easier to circle back and say, okay, if we're going this direction, it doesn't leave room for this, Mm. you know, and then they can really see the potential of what their space has. If I start by just pulling it away, that's when they really white knuckle and hang on to it. So I always start with the direction we're going. And sometimes I even get all the way to install and I'll style the whole space and I'll just tuck that piece away. And then they love it so much that they can't picture putting it back. Yeah. So that's usually the approach. It definitely takes developing trust, but it really helps to focus on where they're going instead of where they've been. And then also incorporating some really meaningful things in ways that like, I just had this conversation today. Sometimes if you have too many things like that, they just drown each other out and nothing special. But if you take the handful of things that are really special and elevate them and put them and style them in a way that they really get to shine, then it truly does become an experience in your home versus just a house full of things that were important to other people, but no longer are elevated. Um, I love that. And going back to the second point that you said too, about systems and there's no copy and paste systems when it comes to your house, because every person, every family is different. Therefore you can't read a book and just mimic everything that they do. You need to really intentionally think, like you said, about what you want it to be for your life. Like what is going to support your rhythms? And I love interior design books. I love home organizing books. I own probably half of them (laughs) by this point. I love to geek out on that stuff. But at the end of the day, like everything that I have implemented in my home looks different. Like you're saying, everything you implement for each of your clients looks different. And I do want to tie that in with businesses because I feel like organizing physical spaces, there's so many things that carry over to organizing digital spaces and organizing like business processes. And I find the same thing to be true. I just love seeing the overlap between organizing interior design and running a business. It's something that I think about a lot when it comes to organizing and helping business owners like get clear on what they want and how to get there. And I feel like copying and pasting like marketing strategies or task management systems. Like you have to learn and see what's out there, but at the end of the day, it's your space. It's your business. Like you have to decide for yourself what's going to work and keep iterating. I think I started my first like Marie Kondo moment. That was my entryway into, I don't know what you want to call it, home organizing or minimalism. But the first round was really, really hard. I was that person who didn't want to get rid of anything. And now I'm just like, get rid of everything. (laughs) I agree. And I think it gets easier and easier because once you've done it, you realize it's kind of an out of sight, out of mind thing that like half the things you think are really important. Once they're gone, you don't even remember they existed. And, you know, my big thing, especially as a business owner, as a mom and a wife and all the balls we keep in the air 
Like I went through years where my word was just simplify. Like we need to simplify as much as we can so that we can thrive. And we're no longer a stuff manager. I think that when we get too emotionally involved, then we shift things from this place to this place to this place. And it's not even things we're using. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like the state of just the American dream and where we're at, we're constantly pushed to this message that more is better. And if you have a problem, you need to buy something to solve it, or you don't like the way your living room is like buy this to solve it. And that's usually not the answer. It's usually just getting rid of things and simplifying. I 100% agree. There's so much joy and peace that comes with having a home or a lifestyle that you can manage that you don't feel like you're drowning, whether it be drowning in things or drowning in tasks or just any of it. This is why you and I are friends. We just agree on everything. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Soul sisters. We might not be actual sisters. (laughs) Right. We do look somewhat alike. (laughs) So along with this, I feel like have really gotten obsessed with plants recently. And you mentioned plants and styling. Tell us plants can be overwhelming for someone who doesn't own any. And when you start researching plants for your home, like it is super overwhelming. Or if you go to a plant store and see all the different varieties and you have no idea how to do plants, especially when it comes to inside, which is even more tricky. Talk us through how you style with plants and what people can think about, like what types are your favorites, all the plant things. I would love to hear it. You and I both know I love, love, love plants, but for years, my husband jokes that our home was the place they went to die. Aww. And even now I joke they're alive, but they definitely do not thrive. <laughs> I'm not the best plant mom. I could keep them alive now though, which is a huge step. And I love, I feel like that is the one thing that every space needs. It's just this organic element that adds softness and nature and it elevates any single space. doesn't matter where it is. I would say for any newbies out there, Pathos are a really great one to start with. Snake plants are a great one to start with. I know fiddles are really, really popular, but they are finicky and end up in hospice very quickly. Yes. <laughs> few umbrella ones. I think one of the best things that you can do is just take a picture of your space and where you're planning to put one and head to a local plant store and just talk to them. Know which direction the window faces. That's huge. And then the other thing, I think my biggest mistake was that I either like drowned them or neglected them entirely. And I kind of picked like either water Wednesday or thirsty Thursday. And I walk around and I stick my finger in my pot and see. And if I actually even have this tool that I got on Amazon that you can check the moisture level, but ultimately if they're wet in there, they're fine. Don't water them. And that's my trick to keep them alive. They may not thrive, but they'll stay alive if you do that trick. And then also don't be afraid. There's some really, really great faux options. I have a lot of busy families that I work with that they're like, I am too busy keeping humans alive. I don't want one more thing to keep alive that I'll do really great faux options and then just work your way up to it. It is kind of addicting. I think Jade and I have talked about this a lot. Like it is a little bit addicting to once you start and once you can keep a couple alive, it's really fun. There's something gratifying about it once you get into it. But I think it's kind of one of those, like you're truly in an adult 
when you can keep plants alive. (laughs) Yes. It does kind of feel like that. I actually learned what you just said about scale when it comes to plants. Cause I realized this year that I had a ton of tiny plants and I didn't like the way that they looked. And so now I'm into buying giant plants, which is even worse yes. when it comes to being addicted to it, but it is a lot of fun and it makes a huge difference having like big plants versus small plants in a space. 100% agree. I think that's a big one. I actually just had my husband brought home this plant. He was holding out on me. He's had this plant this entire 10 years of our marriage. And the secretary at the office was taking care of it because he didn't trust me, but he finally brought it home and it's great. I love it. But big plants are awesome. They're a bit of an investment. Some of the plant stores though do offer, I don't know if it's like this in your area, but we have a, a local store in town that they'll actually like come out on site and either just maintain the plants for you or help you if they're feeling, yeah, which is huge. Cause especially some of them are a big investment. So if you can have someone that helps you. I know they do a lot with commercial spaces, but if you have enough of them in your house, they'll come out too. That's amazing. I have also realized the more I buy, obviously the more time it takes to take care of them, but we're doing drywall right now. So every week I have to wipe off every leaf of every plant because they're getting so dusty. It's like, all right, this is maybe my max now. (laughs) If someone else could come do that, that'd be great. (laughs) No doubt. I agree. They're so fun though. Like they just are doesn't matter what your style is. A good plant goes a long way. Yeah. Quick story. And then we'll move on because we could talk plants all day. But when I was working at Grand Canyon as a business consultant, we did a lot of research around like outdoor education and the effects of being in nature. And it is astounding in terms of productivity too. So tying this back to an office space, having a plant or even a window, or even looking at studies show like a picture of nature in your office can dramatically increase your productivity, which is something to think about when you're thinking about styling your office, but kind of along those lines, let's talk about lighting. And you mentioned lighting in terms of an office and what are some of the best types of lighting for an office space? Ideally, like you said, if you have some natural light, that's best to be able to just work in light. I'm the queen of having all the lights off and working in natural light and clients coming home. Like, why don't you have any lights on in here? I just love sunshine, but Lamps are great. I'm one that sometimes I sneak down to my office early in the morning and there's nothing more peaceful to me than coming on and only turning my lamp on with a nice hot cup of coffee and going to town and just putting a little worship music on, starting my diffuser. Like, so having lighting for all situations, if you do a lot of Zoom call, making sure the lighting is on the other side of you and in front of your face is really, really helpful. So when you talk about interior design, it's about creating functional spaces, but also inspiring spaces. So again, for those entrepreneurs who are working from home, or even if they're not, do you have any last tips for making the space extra inspiring or adding that extra touch to elevate it? Absolutely. So I usually don't do a ton of word art unless it's truly, truly meaningful. Like the eat sign in the kitchen, not necessary. We know where we eat type thing. But That's great. <laughs> I would say that space, that is definitely a place that if you have like words that are really powerful to you, scriptures that are meaningful, this is the place to do it. Like I even have the art that I have in my office that I see is word art. And then I constantly write notes of podcasts that I'm listening to. Like I listened to one yesterday that said, you will rest in the father's hands when you leave the rest in the father's hands. And I really liked that. Mm. So just 
incorporating meaningful phrases, this is the place to do it. And then taking it like a step further. So for example, maybe it's an image that inspires that out of you. My husband in his office, when we were staying at this really cool Airbnb that used to be a convent. Interesting. Yeah. They had this really great picture that has this man sitting in the very back of an old church. And all of the people were in the front and this guy was back by himself. And I think it was kind of, I think it was actually titled like the prodigal son or something, but then it showed Jesus standing at the back by that guy and just like kind of supporting him. And that picture just always really inspires Sherry. So he ended up like hunting it down and getting a print of it to put in his office as a reminder. So things like that, I just did an office last fall where she has pictures of her very first office with her kids crawling on all over her and kind of those reminders of where you've started, especially like you and I are business solo entrepreneurs. So many of your followers, I feel like are too. And sometimes when you're in the thick of a day-to-day of running a business, it can feel overwhelming and you forget how far you've come. So those pictures that remind you of where you started and how far you've come can be that little nudge to get you over the edge. And then what else? Just incorporating meaningful things. Don't be afraid to get creative. I frame things a lot. So Melissa's office, again, she does branding and websites and things like that. And she had this old typography that she had found in a cool shop in downtown Omaha. She's like, it's literally been in a bag in my drawer. Like, I don't know what to do with it. It's really cool. To her, it represents where her industry started. And so we took the glass out of a really cool picture frame and put it on black paper, glued them to black paper, and then framed it and put it on her shelf. And she's like, oh my gosh, I never would have thought to do that. So just those little things I've taken. I had a gentleman whose dad passed away and his dad always had a pocket knife. He joked, he's like, my dad could not go through security today because he always had a pocket knife. (laughs) And he's like, it's just been like tucked away in a box, but it's when I see that, like it makes me, that is my dad. So I took, I found a frame at home goods that had like a gem in it. So it was a little bit more dimensional and I pulled the gem out and then I put the pocket knife in there with these little sticky things that I get on the Amazon. And then he also had a pocket watch. So I like opened up the pocket knife and put that pocket watch in there. And that was tucked by his coffee pot. So like just those little things that maybe otherwise would be tucked away in a drawer, figure out a way to make them part of your experience. And so that when you look around, you have those reminders of who you are and where you've been to inspire you on the days where you don't know where you're going. I love those tips. I am looking for art for my office currently. I love your advice to find something that inspires you, like specifically related, like what encourages you or what you want to see happen. I feel like that's why uh, vision boards are so mm-hmm. great when it comes to goal setting, because the more you are reminded of it, the more it affects your actions on day to day. And like, that's all you have as a business owner is like small daily actions that hopefully add up and get you closer to where you want to go. I'm not great at creating vision boards. I'll be honest, but I like the idea of just finding one or two inspiring things and framing them. So I might be taking that. I'll probably ask for your advice later on Instagram. So (laughs) deal. And actually Melissa has a vision board in her office and that's where she has the pictures of her first two office spaces. And I think with vision boards, I think a lot of people get intimidated. She's like, I want this and I want it to work, but it's always just felt sometimes they can feel like clutter more Mm -hmm. than inspiring. So taking like, it can be simple taking fabrics that are your brand colors and tucking them behind a picture 
tucking like some clippings from a fake plant, like just really elevating them. So it's not flat yeah, and that it's not just like these random things all over. And even something as simple as, you know, taking a thank you card that a client wrote and cutting it apart and putting it on some card stock and then pinning it to it. Like those are little things that you can create a vision board. That's like evolving with everyday items you already have. And make it look cohesive. I like that. Yes. You are full of good tips. We could sit here forever, but (laughs) let's go into the bonus round. I do have a couple of last quick questions to wrap up our call. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right. You're seven. You're always ready. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite interior design trend this year, 2022 and why? One. If you have multiple, you can say multiple. (laughs) It's me. I'm all about all of the experience. (laughs) Definitely the lean and nod towards traditional bone, the millwork and moldings and all of that. That's really coming back. I love that. I think that's something that will always withstand the test of time. It's a pet peeve to have this teeny tiny three inch millwork, like take it, make it big. So that would be one. The fact that wood tones are coming back around is also another, I think wood just adds so much warmth and charm and character. And this isn't really a trend, but the fact that it's going out makes me excited is the gray everything. Like Mm. we do not live and work in dentist's office, folks. We can have some (laughs) warmth. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. That just makes me think of like the Chevron days, gray Chevron when that was really hot. (laughs) Oh yeah. Who didn't have a little Chevron in their life at one point, right? You know, someday (laughs) it's going to be back in. So someday it will. Okay. Bonus question. Number two, where are your favorite places to shop? And this can be really for anything when you're talking about sourcing furniture or finding, like you said, fabrics or picture frames, like where are your go-to places? First place, your home. You can find a lot by just getting creative with what you have and rethinking how it is used or functioned. And then, you know, I'm not the traditional designer. I love high-end things. But I always tell people, you just, you don't want to be married to your things. And if you overinvest in them, you feel like you can't move on when it's time. So I'm a huge fan of, you know, Target, Amazon, Wayfair, Home Goods is one of my favorites. I go there a lot. Etsy's great. Like you were talking about mm. art earlier. You mm-hmm. can find so many great art pieces on Etsy, whether they're already ready framed or a great tip is just getting some ready-made frames that have a good mat and buying the rights to a print and getting it printed. Like it's so affordable to do it that way. There's so many options. So those are my big ones online. You can find anything online. Yeah. That's how I did our bedroom art. I got an Etsy print and it also feels good to support a small business too. The frames are fun. If you get the glass frames, they can be really expensive, but the prints are like super affordable and it's a great way to support small businesses. So Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Cassie. As always, it's always great to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Business Minimalist Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd be so grateful if you'd rate it on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Your rating and review will help more small business owners discover helpful episodes each week. Don't forget to check out the show notes for the tools and resources mentioned in today's episode, because good ideas don't grow businesses. Action does. And if you want more business minimalist tips and resources, head on over to Instagram and follow me at jadeboyd.co. I'd love to hear what you took away from today's episode. I'll see you next time on the Business Minimalist Podcast.
The number of women burning out is at an all-time high right now, and I'm on a mission to change that. If you're a service provider who's feeling overwhelmed, overworked, and underpaid, don't let another year go by staying stuck. The Business Edit is a 12-month group coaching program that helps you declutter your business from top to bottom so that you can have shorter to-do lists, a clear strategy to scale, and know exactly what to focus on each week to drive results in your business. You'll end the year with the business that you've been dreaming of building, one that gives you your life back and pays you more than you've ever made before. In the program, you'll follow my signature five-step method for scaling your service-based business. You'll get business minimalist strategy, marketing, systems, and productivity roadmaps that are simple to understand and easy to implement, plus 12 months of customized one-on-one coaching to help you every step of the way. Join me inside the business edit at www.jadeboyd.co backslash coaching and get my step-by-step blueprint with everything you need to build your dream business in 2024. Now back to the show.